Hey, I'm Ramya, and this is the Charlotte Storytellers Podcast. We're a storytelling group that meets every week in Charlotte, North Carolina, to play silly improv games and workshop stories on a theme. Today's story is brought to you by McKinday. I like storytelling. I think it's like storytelling is something that is inherent to my culture a little bit. Tell me a little more about uh, storytelling in your culture and your, rela- your cultural relationship to storytelling. Yeah, um, that has a little bit to do with uh, the sort of uh, persona I've created uh, called Dion Griel. And Dion Griel is uh, kind of a portmanteau of the word the one Griot. And the reason why I did chose that is because uh, during the colonization of Western Africa, uh, especially uh, the areas uh, which are now francophone, the uh, French colonists found that there was a culture of people going around and relating stories and histories through a little bit of song and mostly mostly dance, mostly stories. And they call these people griot. It is like sort of similar to a troubadour in like medieval or renaissance Europe, but just literally a group of people who just travel around from town to town telling stories of news, significant history, just letting people in these small villages be connected to the world around them. So, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Thank That's you. really cool. Um, were you, have you been interested in storytelling from a young age when you found out about uh, the history of griots in West Africa? Uh, it was even before that. Uh, when I was a, a child in Nigeria, um, there was this program that used to come on TV called Storytime. <laughs> and it literally would be just a lady in front of a group of school kids, the same age as you, uh-huh. you know, telling African fables, you know, and that was it. That was all yeah. it was, but yeah. it was as engrossing as Power Rangers and all these other shows <laughs> that spend millions of dollars. It was to just, tell war stories. Yeah, yeah. Just really simple how much you can capture somebody's imagination. Yeah especially a child's with just a well-told story. For sure. Yeah. What was your, what were some of your favorite fables? Hmm. Uh, I definitely am a big fan of most of the fables that involve the tortoise. He's kind of like the trickster in Yoruba culture. Uh, so <laughs> Kind of like the tortoise in the hair? Tortoise okay. in the hair a little bit. Although the tortoise in that story isn't much of a trickster as much as he's just lucky that yeah. the hair is lazy. Right. But like the tortoise would continually try to cheat the other animals. <laughs> you know, it's more similar to like Loki and Thor. Okay. You know, okay. Where he, yeah. He's not always a bad guy, but he's usually kind of not, not up to something yeah. good by trying Low-key to use it. mischievous. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> You know, so yeah, yeah, there's uh, those uh, fables involving the tortoise, especially the one that's most memorable to me is um, the one about the tortoise and the cat, where the cat teaches the tortoise how to wrestle, and then the tortoise gets a little bit too uh, big for his britches and decides that he's the master of wrestling now just because he beat a, another couple of animals. And the cat shows him that just because he taught the tortoise everything that the tortoise knows doesn't mean that he taught everything there the is cat to knows. know Ooh, exactly. yeah, yeah 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 that shellfish tortoise yeah oh <laughs> man you're killing me i i can't help it i'm sorry <laughs> i would sorry. apologize but i feel like it's a fake apology because it's not like i can do anything about it i've probably done something to deserve this punishment <laughs> hey mm-hmm. <laughs> that's hilarious
What is your story today about? Uh, my story is more of a poem that I wrote um, in relation to one of the stories that we did uh, as storytellers, mm -hmm. Black and White. Yeah. I did a little story about my transition coming from Nigeria, which is like 99% black. Yeah. Know? Uh, to America, which is not as black, you know, <laughs> and uh, just uh, the differences and the ways that I've grown in between coming here at 10 years old to the man that I am today. Sure. And while I was uh, being constructively criticized <laughs> for that story. Feedback. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Brian said that, Brian Amade, uh, uh -huh. he said that... Uh, he really liked a phrase that I used in that story, uh, brand of blackness. Mm -hmm. And the way it usually works for me is when I get struck with the inspiration for a poem, it's usually because of a single phrase that gets stuck in my mind on loop. And I just kind of craft the whole thing around that to make that phrase like expand it or make more sense to me. So yeah, yeah. I uh, wrote a poem that's kind of a little bit of that, of that story called Branded. An incontrovertible fact is that the brand is a name, but it is also a sign that signifies what to expect within the illustrious packaging. You may walk down an aisle of your favorite store, inundated with a cornucopia of brands and signing, and miss altogether the one that's important to you. You yourself are also branded, some by a logo or a tattoo, but all by skin's hue, or lack thereof. My brand is a blackness, of dark mocha brown, shaped and expressed on an epigenetic level, adjusted by sun exposure. My brand of blackness is of dark origins, from a dark continent, of which little is known, and much more is yet to be uncovered. My brand of blackness is in solidarity and disparity, United at once to one and all in form and function, yet distinguished as a marker for the rise of oppression. My history is kings and queens, warriors and chieftains, of slave ships and slaves, prison shackles and chains, all relegated to a shadowed narrative that I might not regard too closely, for fear that it would reveal that I am the beneficiary of the perpetrators rather than the victims. Before a person can be made into chattel and branded with hot iron, bound in chains, they must first be captured, some as prisoners of war, then robbed of their personhood, some of their humanity, sold to strangers for baubles and tools from a far-off land. This is a brand of sin that sears my conscience even still. Yet I am marked among the oppressed and not the oppressors, I'm denigrated and elevated all at once based on the color of my skin, but also by the content of the beholder's character. My brand of blackness is of hope and lamentation, spread fire and wide in pursuit of freedom and prosperity, yet longing and hoping for a revival of the congregation, that we may be one people rather than beasts of all nations. This black brand of my skin colors my perspectives, in ways that I fear may not always be objective, a subtle paranoia, minor offense versus major slight. Either way, I could end up staying in jail for the night. My brand is defining and diluting, allowing me to know where I stand, 
yet sometimes frustratingly confusing, for the way that I look is not all that I am. My hidden brand on my inner man is of carpenters and fishermen, drawn together and spread apart by the cross and the hymn of how great thou art. This brand is now mine, but was given to me, bought by broad blood price at Calgary, where an innocent man with love divine, famous for once turning water to wine, knowing no sin, but bearing love for all, took on the sins of the world, took the fall, and died for me, to set me free of the chains that bind my heart. This is the brand I gladly bear, and hope to widely share, while our outer brands are chains to some, our inner brands enslave us all. Thank you. Wow. What a wonderful piece of writing. Thank you. Thank you. Every time you make two words rhyme, it sort of feels like it comes out, you know, it's a surprise because most of the poem doesn't rhyme. So when those two words come out, they, they stand as, to me, they were like these markers that those words really jumped out at me. So that was, you know, really good work. How did that phrase, how did Brian's remark on that phrase inspire you to write this poem? What did that process look like? Well, um, when I was thinking of that phrase, the way I initially chose to use it, I chose to use it as a sort of demarcation to show that I, even though I was black in America, I wasn't black in America the same way that other kids my age were black in America. Uh -huh. So even though I was supposedly in with this new group, I was always outside that group just because of my history right. and how my history had changed my perspectives on things. And uh, as as he was talking about how he thought that phrase was, was powerful, I was thinking, what else could brand of blackness mean? Right. And I started thinking of actual physical brands like logo branding, yeah, merchandise, yeah, yeah. and even before that, actually branding, like branding cattle branding people yeah. to show that they belong to somebody. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So all of that came together to help me write this poem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That um the starting with the metaphor of the brand as the uh objects in a store that you might look and it's like a cacophony of things that is um jumping out at you and you might miss the one that you're looking for. That's a really strong, really visceral image. Um I think you're saying a lot too, but you're saying a lot by not saying a lot. Mm -hmm. Um and talking about what it means to try to capture the essence of a product or the essence of a thing, which is sort of what a brand does and make it um, kind of turn it into an object where mm -hmm. it becomes the symbol of something as opposed to the actual thing itself. Indeed, indeed. And on a more simple level, there's just way more choice here in American stores than there is in <laughs> most, like, oh, yeah, totally. the number one thing most immigrants complain about when they go shopping. It's like, there's so much choice. I don't know what to choose. I want to buy cheese, and I have, like, 19 different choices, <laughs> you know, of the same brand. Yeah. I have, like, 19 different the choices of, of Swiss cheese. cheese. Yeah. Like, what? That's hilarious. I often joke about, uh, I'm a vegetarian, and I, mm -hmm. I like being a vegetarian in, in the U.S. because you only have to choose between, like, two things as opposed <laughs> to, like, going somewhere and choosing between, like, 600. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Are you, do you consider yourself a writer? Do you write regularly? Um, I try. I'm trying to become more of a writer. I definitely consider myself a poet. That's what I'm, I'm trying to be more confident in doing. But uh, writing is something I've more dabbled in. Yeah. Um, right now, I'm playing with writing a comic book script for a character I created called Firelocks. <laughs> based off of my friend who has red hair. So I was like, okay. That's awesome. I turned this 
guy into a superhero. And uh, <laughs> that's what I've been writing so far. Yeah. Firelocks. That's hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, something, something that was really striking about your poem was when you talked about being the, um, you mentioned the words beneficiary, mm -hmm. um, and sort of delineating the oppressor and the oppressee. Can you talk a little more about that and yeah. kind of what you want to say with that? There's a lot of things about history that are uncomfortable. Uh -huh. And one of the things that's really uncomfortable to talk about history when it comes to slave trade is that Africans are just as responsible as Europeans for making that happen. They captured African people. They marched them to the slave ports. I know a lot of us have seen Amistad. There's that scene where they're marching people in chains and yeah. it's white European guys who are doing that. That's most likely not historically accurate. What's more historically accurate is that it was probably another African guy who was marching other Africans down those roads to the slave ports to be sold to Europeans, yeah. to European slavers. Yeah. And that's something that I think um, should be something we're more cog cognizant of so that we can be a little bit more forgiving of one another. Sure. That, you know, the more we realize that history usually has no perfect victims. Right. That usually, even though no atrocity is deserved, there was usually something that was done quid pro quo that caused things to escalate, caused things to get worse from the state, state that they were. I think that we can all as we all recognize that a little bit more and realize that our side was not all, did not always have clean hands. Yeah. We can be a little bit more willing to extend the olive branch and be Reconcile one people. the past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What role do you think history plays in the way we see things now and we perceive other people, we perceive other brands? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I would say that History uh, definitely plays a role in determining what type of things we find uh, a little bit, uh, I, I would say, offensive these <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, Like, I've definitely heard some people have some choice words to say about Aunt Jemima and Mrs. Brotherworth. You know, those are both brands of, like, syrup and pancakes uh -huh. that draw a little bit from the not quite slavery, but Jim Crow era. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, as far as uh, history on an actual logo and branding, I think like the the goal in branding is to make things old things seem new. So they're always trying to ditch the the past and hmm. uh, kind of make things more contemporary. I remember seeing an ad to make Miracle Whip cool for millennials. You know, <laughs> showing people jamming out in their kitchen oh while <laughs> happily spreading Miracle Whip mayonnaise on stuff. You know. And that's, Gross. I know, I know, but they gotta, they gotta do something, you know, you, they're not, at least that's a trend I see. I'm not somebody who is in major in design, sure, but sure, sure. as a lay person, I see that in advertising and logo and design, they're always trying to take the old and revamp it to make it fit the new and younger generation. And you, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Where do you want to take your writing next? Hmm. Um, one thing that. I joined Storytellers for was because it's it uh, fit a need that I'd had for a little while of trying to figure out how to better relate to my own story. Because mm -hmm. uh, one, I, maybe the poem touches on this a little bit, but I always feel like I I don't match with the majority of what my identities are supposed to be. I'm supposed to be black, but you know 
I don't always feel the same way about black culture that I feel like a lot of other black people do. I'm not as much into certain things about black culture, like the certain types of food, certain types of music, that type of stuff, certain types of clothing, as I see a lot of other black people do. Um, I'm a man, but I'm not always so into the sort of things that men are into in terms of being super gung-ho into certain types of sports, football, baseball, that type of stuff. And sports and beer. Yeah, sports and beer. <laughs> I'm not a big drinker either. So that makes me a little bit different too. Um yeah, so just being able to uh have a narrative to my own self where I know who I am. Yeah. And that that's that I think m- makes you more comfortable in your skin. Totally. Because you're not always evaluating, am I this enough? Am I that enough? You just go, This is who I this am. This is my story, this exactly. is my identity. Yeah. And I know that's something that we tend to do later in life when, you know, we've lived and we've (laughs) seen all the choices that we've actually made. But I think it's pretty helpful to try and do that early in life so that you're just more confident in the choices that you make. And you make more choices that you don't regret because you know that you made them in the truth of your character, of who you understood yourself to be at that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're not stumbling through the world. You're striding through it. Exactly, exactly. This is another one that I wrote much earlier, long before I discovered storytellers. It's called Monster. It's a combination of the word mouse and monster. (laughs) It bubbles deep beneath, seething, boiling, roiling to a dense and roaring cacophony, a wall of sound, blocking out all reason, eradicating logic, feelings become like a tar, thick and unforgiving, and I am mired in that substance, struggling to be free, yet knowing that is not within me nor in my power to be. The anger I feel is not my own, but that of previous generations, a chain around my neck, weighing down my head, making me subservient to my iridescent masters with skin of snow and teeth like ivory. I speak their language and think their thoughts, and the result is mere tolerance when what I require, crave, need is acceptance. An understanding that is deeper than what I have of myself I desire from others. What foolishness. I am angry at myself for being so weak, for letting it happen, for letting them take a bold and vibrant figure with the heart of a lion, king of the jungle, just and true with strength and wisdom to be overcome with empty and baseless fear. Fear of thoughts both my own and especially those of my esteemed masters. What will they think of me? Will they judge me to be something I cannot, will not be? Oh, What travesty, oh, what shame, they have wrongly judged my name, and my world is over. Wait, I am still here. The judgment has fallen, and I still exist. The monster is dwarfed by the pale yet vibrant truth that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am what I am, no matter what thinking may proceed, and the struggle to be understood falls far from need. I can feel it even now, roaring within me, asking to be freed. Yet now I agree. Come out for a while. Let's talk. 
get to know one another for better or for worse. Wow. I really like that one. Thank you. Yeah. Your energy when doing that poem is really captivating. Even though you said it was old, it feels like you just wrote it hot off the press. Why, uh, why the name Monster? Well, I definitely have a very strong idea of me being the avatar of the criminal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like when people think of criminal, they usually think of somebody that kind of looks like me. And I'm aware that as a tall guy, I can also come up as being threatening too. So I've always worked to not be threatening or scary or whatever it is that may put people off. And that was some something about me struggling a little bit with that idea of maybe I, I, I am an aggressive person. Maybe I am. What if I was? What if I was an aggressive person? What if I am what you fear? Or maybe um, I'm not an aggressive person, but you judge me to be an aggressive person. And what does that mean for me? Does that mean that because you've judged me to be an aggressive person, I am what you've decided I'm going to be? You know, those type of thoughts, ideas. Um, yeah, it's just really about uh, having this continual idea of how people perceive you and how that affects how you perceive yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How you see yourself as a reflection of what other people see you as. Or what you think other yeah. people see you as. Yeah, Because yeah. it's not always true. Right. That person may have crossed the street just because they need to get to the bodega across the street. But, but you might interpret as. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's definitely a lot there. I mean, it's a two-way street, too. I think if you um, are reading into people's interactions, that morphs away. You feed, you know, energies mm -hmm. into the world. And mm -hmm. people read that in a certain way. And you're sort of a... There's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy aspect to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can find the storytellers on Twitter or Instagram under at CLT Storytellers. That's it. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to Ben Rose for composing the sweet intro beats. <laughs>